Welcome back to a podcast. I'm your host, Owen Meyer. Today I'm joined by the man who has almost killed me in multiple ways many times in the early morning, Mr. Max Carroll, a close friend of mine who also experienced the hell that was experiencing uh, Edgar Allan Poe under Professor Harry Brown, the guest of the other half of this episode. Uh, today is a discussion of the black cat and mental health and literature. Um, which ties directly into some of Poe's history, because as a deeply troubled man whose life was at least partially led into a downward downward spiral by his addiction to alcohol, as I said previously, Poe's works were more than familiar with the deterioration of mental health. There is only one issue. In the time that Poe lived, (laughs) mental health was not a codified thing. Freud hadn't started writing about the masterworks and, like, the deeply psychological, so psychology was considered vastly pseudoscientific at the time of Poe. As a result, Poe's works explore the human psyche, uh, things like Imp of the Perverse, Telltale Heart, and for us, Black Cat, fall into the territory of much of his work that it was too far ahead of its time to be popular. So, for those who have not listened to the other half of this episode, first, I'm going to give Max a chance to introduce himself and also to give a brief summary of the Black Cat before we get into some of the more... uh, fun discussion points. Max, go ahead. All right. Um, my name is Max Carroll. Uh, I go to Nepal here as well. I'm a, I'm a junior. And uh, I happened to take a uh, gothic literature class with uh, Harry Brown as well, where we kind of overlooked the vast landscape that is gothic America and a lot of the tales that go through with it. And uh, him and I actually had a discussion last week where we kind of, I kind of gave him a roadmap as to you know, how I saw the Gothic, where it started in European ruin, then it went to the the, the rural Gothic, to which then it, it transferred into the suburban Gothic, the urban Gothic, and then kind of the, the theoretical Gothic, where it's kind of a zone where you really don't understand, you can't really understand what's going on. And, you know, that's kind of how I saw the course, and he saw, he didn't really, or what is it, the... Uh, he didn't really see it that way at first, but when I kind of laid it out to him, he kind of, he saw that and he was like, oh, I never really thought about that. And so, I mean, that's like the overview of the class, but we talked about Poe in the earlier section of the, mm-hmm. uh, the class, the, the kind of the, the European ruin kind of aspect with like the prehistoric stuff. And then about the Royal Gothic, because that's where he kind of, kind of takes reign and, and becomes prominent in that time period around like 18... 20s, I want to mm-hmm. say, no, like 1820s ish. Yeah, Black Cat came out in 1845, so that checks out. Yeah, yeah. So for those who don't know the Black Cat, it's a story about a drunken narrator, very unreliable narrator, who comes home, uh, gouges the eyes out of uh, his family cat Pluto. Uh, very carefully selected name. Well, isn't uh, it, on it of, only one eye? Uh, yeah, uh, I think it's the left eye, but yeah, the left, yeah, it's the left eye. He gouges the eye out of Pluto, and um, ultimately, thinking that it's the cat, murders his own wife and entombs her inside of a wall. Uh, later on in the story, when the police come by after dealing with his own guilt for an extended period of time, the unnamed narrator sees a spectral cat with a gallows on its back meowing and sees it hears it from behind the wall knocks down the wall and reveals the location of his wife's dead body to the authorities it's actually rather comedic for the end of such a dark story it really is i i I think that i think the story is just super funny and i think it's like it's just so far-fetched where he's like he's like this this cat just won't leave me alone he just won't he just won't stop yanking my chain 
But yeah. the thing is, is like, I think that the cat being a bastard is just what makes the story that much funnier. Like, there's like, it's un- unintentional, but it's just, like, it's very tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. At times. Poe has this thing that he likes to do, if you look at like a story like Cask of Amontillado, right? Where the major part of the story is that the primary character is this sort of tongue-in-cheek asshole who's just like, oh, you can turn back any time, friend, but then if you do, you won't get this fancy wine that I have in my basement. And it ultimately leads to one character entombing the other one in a wall. Hmm, I don't see any parallels here whatsoever. Um, The first major question that I had for you, and this is something that I wanted to ask you in particular because I know you had a little bit of trouble with this fact when we first read Black Cat. Black Cat toes a line between imagination and reality constantly throughout the plot. Neither the reader, nor the narrator, nor sometimes even Poe seems to be easily able to distinguish between what is happening and then what is being represented by the narrator's delusions. For some, including yourself but not including Professor Harry Brown, who I interviewed previously on this topic. Uh, This makes the story difficult to follow. Uh, In reading Black Cat, did you feel confused at any point? Uh, Did the narrator feel disorienting or take away from your ability to understand the story on initial readings? I think this is one of the the stories that I really, like, really understood. In that first section of the the thing, I was really confused on some of the stories because of the, the way in which they were written and what they were focusing on. But this one in 1922 were really, like, the easiest ones to read because it was pretty straightforward as to what was going on. And uh, I think that, I mean, it's funny. I've read Turn of the Screw before by Mm -hmm. Henry James, another really big novel of the time. Kind of like in the, uh, what is it, the, not the, uh, what is it, the, uh, the, not the, it's the, hold on. Rural? It's it's almost it's toes the line between rural and urban. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's like it's in that eighteen nineties time period where like the you know the industrial revolution is like in full swing at this point, and we're kind of at the getting closer to the middle, more closer to the tail end of that time. So something that you know I was taught to do with stuff like that, and I didn't actually know this was a gothic story at all, and I read this my junior year of high school, and so the way that we read it was like the way in which we saw that the, the character was. Uh, what is it? It was she was delusional, mm-hmm. and so from there, you know, like I didn't know you were supposed to, you could read it in two different ways, like simultaneously. I thought you had to read it one way or another. Mm-hmm. But I think with stories like this, I think you really have to you have to be stay consistent with what you what you think because if you try to see it both ways, one at like the same time, it gets really confusing, and then you start to question yourself too much as to like what is going on and what is and what is not. But I think, like, you can, while, while reading it in one way, I think it is important to, like, note the points, the, the highlight points where they really toe the line between both. Yeah. Because I, I think that you have to come to a conclusive ending in your own head. Otherwise, you'll, be, you, you'll, you'll kind of fall into, like, that whole idea of you becoming per- perverted because you can't make a decision which drives you crazy. It's which, is, which is gothic in itself. True. You can very much, and I very much think, that that was sort of Poe's intent. Poe loves this unreliable narrator figure. Um, he does it in Black Cat. He does it in Telltale Heart. Literally, the I don't know if you've read Telltale Heart, but the protagonist yeah. of Telltale Heart is a man 
on the gallows, reflecting on how he could not stop himself from committing yeah, cause, murder. because he was just like, he just couldn't help himself. He couldn't help himself. And, and he was just like, that was just the thing that, like, drove him crazy, was that, like, he could not have that control that he was looking for. Yeah. And that, like, the point of realization, like, him being on the gallow at the time is, like, it's the point of reflection for him, of saying, like, if I was not perverse, if I was not, like, falling into this trope of, like, of uh, the unknown... That like I could be, you know, and that's what the you know, the Puritanism like the, mm-hmm. the pagan survival, and that's where that kind of like falls in the line is like where does like the standards of society kind of come into the play like as America is starting to shape itself. Yeah, and there's an interesting thing, right? Um, one of the really cool interpretations that I came up with in discussing Black Cat with people after the fact is Poe has this thing. Telltale Heart shows it. Black Cat shows it, Casting Montiato to a lesser extent, Fault of the House of Usher to a lesser extent, that everyone has this degree of perverseness in them. That's what makes us all different. Yeah, and there's a great understanding and discussion in Poe of, well, are we all bound to eventually fall victim to our own perverseness? Or are we all at some point... Does it take something to release us into being perverse or being these twisted versions of ourselves? For the narrator of the Black Cat, that triggers alcohol. He comes home drunk, and so his inhibitions are lowered, and he ends up committing these violent acts, killing his wife, and ultimately revealing his own fault. Or is it something where he was always going to do this and it just happened to occur at this time with this conflagration of events? That it's just like by, by chance that it happened? Yeah. I, I, mean, I, I think that even on like, a, on like a regular everyday scale, I think you end up having some kind of perverseness at some point. That like you have something that you do or, or have like where you, have, where you self-actualize it. You become like self-aware of it. You know what I mean? And I think that once you become self-aware and you accept it for what it is, and that kind of obviously goes with, like, the Freudian repression, mm-hmm. that plays a huge role within these stories, is that, like, once you self-actualize it, you'll be okay. Because you've come to terms with it, and therefore you, you can actually de- deal with it and learn how to, like, cope with it. But I think it's a varying degree of perverseness that everybody ends up having within themselves. With that opinion of yours um, in the open, I would be interested to see what do you make then of characters like the narrator in Black Cat who seems to have this ability to reflect on his own perverseness but not to actively suppress it or prevent himself from acting in this way or the narrator of Telltale Heart who is able to express that he knows that the murder he committed was not something good. He's not a, like... Charlie Manson, who tries to justify his actions. He's a murderer who knows his murder was wrong, but claims that there was nothing he could do to prevent it. The narrator of the Black Cat knows that he's committing these actions reflectively. It's why he's able to tell the story. Mm -hmm. And yet, he still commits them and doesn't really justify them either. He just sort of wraps them up in his madness as this sort of explanation for events there's a sort of duality to that because it's in one way it's like you can it's almost a catch-22 with the whole puritanism you know that whole era of like being a or well that's 
That's post-Puritanism. But I think that at this time, it's still an ununified America. Therefore, mm-hmm. they're still re- relying on Puritan ideals to like project us forward into what is the future, right? So it's kind of like a damned if you do, damned if you don't. That like you can blame it on the on the you know like they can you can almost blame it on what you've been taught to do, but at the same time you you can also say it like it it allows you to be able to self actualize it and pull yourself up by your bootstraps, mm-hmm. you know. So it's it's almost like a catch twenty two that in some ways you can blame it on it, but also you can come to terms with it as well. And so the whole like. Hold on, I lost myself. Oh, you're okay. So the whole, uh, these characters are just accepting it for what it is, which is better than them, like, putting themselves... It's it's more... It would be more interesting if they put themselves in more of a victim standpoint. Mm-hmm. They don't feel like they're victims. They're taking agency for what they're doing, even though they know what they're doing is wrong. But they're repressing it, too. They're, like, the repression of, like, actually actively stopping it. Mm-hmm is what is killing them. Yeah. Professor Brian and I, in my interview with him, discussed the concept of what Black Cat would be like if we actually removed ourselves from this sole unreliable narrator. There's only one other human character who's, like, around in any sense for an extended portion of Black Cat, and that's the narrator's wife. There was this interesting thought that we had. It's like, what is the Black Cat as a story if it's told following the wife if it's told from her perspective when she sees him come home drunk she watches him gouge the eye out of pluto and then she watches as her husband deranged murders her and then maybe i guess if you want to get real gothic with it her spirit haunts the house and watches the remainder of events play out maybe manifesting as a gallows cat that causes her body to be revealed um, what do you make of that? What do you think the unreliable narrator does for the story that um, is different if it's told from a different perspective? I mean, he drives the plotline, man. Uh, he without him, the story doesn't happen. But I think the other per- the other point of view, mm-hmm. the other point of view is it would be really interesting to see because it would be like because the, the the wife would probably say he's coming home drunk every day, but he's just got this cat. And that's, like, the newest development in our lives for how X amount of years, right? And that for him gouging out the cat's eye, she could probably give you a better idea as to did the cat live or did the cat actually die? Mm-hmm. And I think that would be – it would change the dynamic of the story. And therefore, that's why I don't think that they could write a story like that because then you would change the, the narrative history of what the story actually meant. Unless – that person were to write two different, you know, one version where they where they write the cat dying, one version where the cat doesn't die. Mm-hmm. You got to resolve Podinger's cat. You can't basically. Leave, you cannot leave Podinger's cat in the box. You have to reveal whether or not he's there or not. Yeah. Which is like, which that's that's like the main fork in the road of that story is that moment right there where he kills the cat. Because mm-hmm. if he doesn't kill the cat, the rest of the story doesn't happen. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see if the he if there was like a, a second iteration of like what would happen if the cat was not killed and he, it was just him mm-hmm. who was just crazy and then just you know I think he would still end up killing the wife but in but what happens after that would be really interesting to see 
Yeah. Does it matter to you if the second cat that ultimately leads to the revelation of his wife's location is a real cat? Does it, like... If there's a real cat with a that just happens to have fur in the shape of a gallows on its back, right? And that cat just happens to stumble across the location of the wife and start mewing and ultimately in his hatred for cats, there's something with Poe and creepy animals, right? It's, it's in the Raven too. Um where he has like, maybe the narrator is like, oh, I have to kill this other cat because it's reminding me of the first cat that I did or didn't kill. And my wife that I definitely did kill. And he knocks down the wall and his the wife's body comes tumbling out. And the police are like, you kill her. And he's like, I kill her. And it's like, all that. Does it matter to you if the cat's real? Does it change your interpretation of the story if that second cat is a real cat or not? I think so. But I really, I'm really interested to see what Harry Brown said about that. Because I think that he would probably say that, I don't actually know what he would say. I think he'd say maybe the cat was was real in the sense, because obviously if you're going with the whole gothic narrative idea, mm-hmm. that you would you would drink the Kool-Aid and say the cat is real. And that the cat is saying that like, yes, there's the wife. Yeah. Professor Brown, I can tell you directly from my interview with him, uh, said that he didn't directly answer this question in a one-to-one because he had addressed it earlier on in the interview, but he basically expressed the fact that he doesn't think there was a cat that, say, you or I could reach out and pet there. But what he does think is that there was certainly a cat that was a psychological manifestation of either guilt or trauma from the narrator that was 100% there in the narrator's perspective. Like, I expressed interest in seeing this scene from the policeman's perspective. Like... It's just like the wife. Just like the wife's standpoint. If you see the scene from from the policeman's perspective, right, two things could happen. Either there's a literal ghostly gothic cat a la, like... A la House of the Seven Gables, right? Literal haunted harpsichord. Like, that plays itself and there's no other explanation. So there's a literal spectral cat there and policeman man can also see the spectral cat, but he doesn't know the significance of it. It's just ghost cat, right? Or... Or you are, or, uh, what is it? He's standing behind the main character who's staring at this wall and there's nothing there. And then all of a sudden the main character knocks the wall down and a body falls out from behind it. Yeah, see, that's actually that is the answer that I should have expected from Harry Brown because that sounds more or less like what I would what I would say because he's relying more on the idea of the tropes really like playing a role, which a lot of it is a lot of it is like theory, and I think that's like the theoretical a- aspect of of the Gothic is like you could really attach a lot of theory to these to these stories, and you could still get way more high quality results, which. Which is like you know, I guess mine is more layman in terms of saying like yes, I think that there could be the cat, mm-hmm. but I think there being like I, the the the, the narrator, the un aforementioned narrator, is going through like mental health issues, which have been unsolved. But the only way that he copes with it is with drinking. Yeah, like Poe. Like Poe, who either died in a bar, a river, or a street. But in all of them, he died drunk. I heard he died at a polling place. Yeah, I heard he was involved in a massive conspiracy before his death. You see? 
He's just as mysterious yeah, as his stories. Well, he might as well go into Holiday World and, and rode the roller coaster before he died. You're telling me Poe died on the Raven? <laughs> would, it, would it be so far-fetched? I mean, he could have read on a theoretical interpretation of a roller coaster. I mean, I'm sure he went through one in his life. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, given the... It's called the, a draw. Oh, accurate, accurate. <laughs> um, given the fact that we've addressed that one of the major interpretations of the black cat is... Um, that the cat that is that the titular cat Pluto, who is the title cat, right? Um, he sees and drives him mad and leads to him killing his wife. Is definitely a real cat. But what about the second cat? We said it. It doesn't have to be a real cat. It could have been a supernatural cat. It could have been a psychological cat. But given this understanding of how the cat could represent his alcoholism, leading to him making bad decisions, can you think of any other? instances in Poe or anything else that we um, read in close conjunction to Poe that uh, demonstrates similar usage of mental health in the narrative? You know, I mean, I, I know that... What is it? Uh, I mean, 1922. I yeah. mean, it's kind of... It's the low-hanging fruit, but it's the same idea that, like... I think the, the, the father is just so, like, deranged from the fact that his wife is just not being compliant with him that the only way that he can he can be freed of that is through killing her. Yeah. For some reason, I, every, I, when we were read The Black Cat, all I could think of was Pet Cemetery. <laughs> I mean, King connections, right? This is not the first time I've talked... Edgar Allan Poe and Stephen King with somebody on this podcast. Yep. I mean, <laughs> I mean it probably happens, like, every time. Yeah. Because it's just, like, Stephen King's just got such a vast library of stories that, like, there's no way that you can't connect the two of them being the, some of the most prominent American authors there have ever been. Yeah. And in a major sense, right, King sort of feels like the modern embodiment of Edgar Allan Poe. Except less alcoholic and... Well, Stephen King has his own vices. Stephen King, quite notably, he wrote a short story that is literally about a doctor who finds himself stranded on an island with, uh, I think it's like 50 pounds of cocaine and that's it, in his journal. And it's a reflection of King's own struggles with addiction um, through this character who slowly spirals. It was literally, it's in a short story collection called Skeleton Crew. Uh, I mentioned it in my... Oh, ep- I've heard, yeah, I've heard of Skeleton Crew. I, I, I actually <laughs> discussed Skeleton Crew in my episode on Casco Montiato that I did with my father. Um, and it's quite funny because the reviewers literally said that this short story was King going too far into the exploration of addiction because it's too realistic well you see you see not everyone can have a fictional non-existent or existent cat as an embodiment of addiction addiction within their story right like you a guy on an abandoned island with no connection to cats hallucinating a cat doesn't exactly do much for the story but that man slowly eating himself away due to his addiction and slowly losing the ability to write in a journal that's poignant that's tough stuff and it's definitely worth reading if you ever get the chance it's just skeleton. a deformation of yourself yeah skeleton crew is 100 percent worth reading you've read something from it because you've read the mist yep the mist is the first story in skeleton crew it's the um probably the most well known in the collection anyways but also i made this joke in another episode but there's also a poem in skeleton crew called for owen oh yeah yeah i i 
I like to think it's to me, like, but it was written in the eighties, so I know it's not to me. You weren't even a wet dream at that point. True. My dad was 17. If I was, I'd have doubts. <laughs> oh boy. He'd really be in trouble. <laughs> he was a good Catholic boy at that point. Yeah, There's probably, no way. Probably serving the altar in the Eucharist. <laughs> Which, hey, religious horror, man. It's up there. Yeah. I think, and I mean, it's a really interesting. I mean, obviously, it kind of you can't go unnoticed without saying religion plays a big role in all, yeah. in all these stories, too, in some ways or another. I mean, the black cat is a little harder to find. But I think obviously you could just trace it through sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could. I mean, sin's a big part of re- like the religious aspect of these of this story. Do you think you can read the cat as like the the, the spectral cat, the the gallows cat? I call it for the simplest way of describing it. Um, almost as like a harbinger of his fate. Like you can't. Or you a can't. Devil? Yeah, you can't hide from your own sin. You can't hide from your own guilt. So here's this spectral cat sent from the heavens to force you to reveal your flaws. I don't know if he's necessarily... Like, I guess if you're looking at pagan survival, if you look at it through that lens, then yeah, you could say that absolutely. It's it's a... that The cat is a god. Yeah. In that regard. That, like, the god, that god is, is cutting him down, you know? Yeah. yeah that, like, he, he can only run for so long, but... Eventually, he's going to get cut down, and obviously, when he gets cut down, is when the cat unleashes the cat. Mm-hmm. The cat unleashes <laughs> its 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 like final blow to him. Yeah. For for like disrespect for like not only disrespecting but like saying that the cat is like insignificant. Yeah. To him and his life. It's kind of interesting because within the confines of how the story is structured, right? The only being in the universe that has complete knowledge of the main character and his actions and his motivations is not the main character. He's too drunk for that shit. It's the cat. The cat is the only entity that seems to have any understanding. He knows where the body is. He knows that the main character killed the body. He knows he can trick the main character into revealing the body. And he seems to know that the police will be there. Well, he builds rapport. Yeah. He builds rapport with when he comes back alive. The narrator's like, Hey, that's kind of weird. Why is there a cat? <laughs> Why is there a... What, how did he come back? I killed that cat. But he doesn't even, like... He almost doesn't even, like, bad night. He doesn't even really even care. When, yeah. when he, he's like, oh, the cat's back. Cool. And I guess he's, he's not dead. And he just slowly goes insane. <laughs> it's just like... Because the cat just starts acting a little off. Yeah, so it's a... It's, it's, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's funny. Um... The online Poe collection that I used to give the viewers and listeners to be able to look at the stories literally has like a one sentence description of each story. And the description for the black cat is a horror story about a cat. It's just about the cat. <laughs> it's just about the cat. So maybe even the narrator really isn't even, isn't, but it's odd how like, it'd be interesting to see the story told from the cat's point of view. I mean, so I, I'm going to tell you, there's a there's a 20th century short story collection written by a Japanese author that's called Cat Country that just tells the day-to-day lives of humans, but it's entirely from the perspective of a cat. And now my brain is just like, but what if Poe did that, but with murder? Oh. <laughs> I mean, you'd only get half the picture because the cat only has one eye left, but you know. Yeah, I think it'd just be funny to be like... But I think it'd be interesting to see what the cat would say. He'd be like, this, this fuck face just took out my eye. Just because he thought, like, he just, he just, he just was pissed off at me. 
All I wanted was a glass of milk. Yeah. With some brandy in it, maybe, but you know. It's like, this guy can go kick rocks. Like, can you believe that? I mean, I'm sure that's probably what he did once he went to prison. And then, see, but then again, you could gothic double that, that the cat then, too. Because you could tell the story from the cat's point of view as him being just a cat. And then you could tell it from the point of view of him being a religious entity. Yeah. I can understand that for sure. Which would be really interesting. We're going to go to a commercial break, and when we come back, I've got one more question for Mr. Max Carroll that may or may not fry his brain. We'll see you shortly. Today's episode is sponsored by Raid Shadow Legends. With over 10 million global downloads, Raid is currently celebrating its fourth anniversary. Use code PODCAST when downloading the game, or use the link in the description to get 40 free silver and a new epic champion, the Depressed Rider. He summons a spectral raven to debuff all enemies by causing them to doubt their own existence. After three turns, they implode, but so does he, and he'll never return to your account again. Want to try him out Well, for a limited time? Well, you might find him in a river, but, you know, that's a very low drop rate. I've experienced it myself. So just use the link in the description to download Raid today. Thanks to Raid Shadow Legends for sponsoring this episode. Now back to the conversation. And we're back. Once again, I'm here with Max Carroll, the man who has been perplexing me at 2 in the morning for approximately a year and a half now. I have one final question for you before we wrap today's episode on the Black Cat, Max, which is I read an article from the Johns Hopkins Press from 1970 written by a scholar named Robert Shulman. Um, he made an argument early on in that that the in the greater works of Poe, his shorter length pieces, short stories like the Black Cat, poems like The Raven, um, seem to have less profundity of insight into the human psyche than works of greater length like Follow the House of Usher or his one attempted novel. Um, while this might be true of some of his other works, uh, I use Casca Montiato as an example of a very straightforward revenge story with not much insight of character. Um, the Black Cat is at its core a gothic character study into the psyche of the narrator. So in what regards do you think the Black Cat manages to maintain depth of character despite only being five pages in length? I think he gets to the... I mean. I think him being so specific, or him being very specific about the details he decides to include, is what really makes it like allows there to be the the whole psyche thing mm-hmm. being explored. I think him being so grave in detail allows for the reader and analyst and critical scholars to be able to go in and to look at that that content and be like, well, what can we learn from this, and well, what what can we what can we infer about what is going on here and what like what why are these stories so powerful and i think it's also it depend, obviously when he wrote the, the time period in which he wrote the story too and where he was in his life also i think contributes to that which i don't i can't remember off the top of my head in terms of his career like where he wrote this but i would assume that this was somewhere in like the in his prime of his career. If you consider it that, uh, Black Cat, as I said, was written in 1845. Poe died in 1849. So this was written 
about four and a half years before he passed away. Um, I like, it's funny, describing Poe as having passed away, because that's usually reserved for someone who dies a peaceful death with no well, actually, complications. How do you know where he died is the real question. We still don't know how he died. Yeah. We still don't know where he died. I think like Poe would like that fact. You know, but, even he's gothic enough himself. Yeah. He kind of he could have died on a toilet like Elvis. You know, like you hear, that, hear about that. All we know is that if he died on a toilet, he died drunk on a toilet because it's Poe. Um, There's a chance. Yeah. So I agree with you. I think Black Hat, despite being five pages, doesn't really feel like five pages in terms of the level of detail. Like you can have a five page excerpt from a novel that feels short because the author's like, oh, I have 300 pages to elaborate on these characters and details. We can use filler words and we can even perhaps make up words if we really feel like it. Yeah. Just to be able to describe things. Yeah. And meanwhile, Poe is like, I have five pages. Sometimes six. He's, he's like, eat shit and die. I've got five pages. Deal with it. Make, I, make of it what you want because this is all you're getting from me. Yeah. I I mean, like, if you consider his some of his other works as extensions of the ideas of previous works, there's a thing, a whole discussion to be had with some of his work. Particularly, I had it in my episode about the Raven, how inex, um, inexorable Poe's work is from the idea of uh, grief and depravity and death to the point where you could almost see a through line through everything he's ever written and you can use any work of Poe that came before anything else in his chronology to play into the motivations for him writing another one. Well, if you think that way... And he's probably got more questions about what his own writing or like ways in which that... He's, he's like, I can... I think obviously in being in the mind of a writer really also helps too. Is that I would assume that he had already had these stories written in his head or had it at least formatted in his head and when he put it on the paper he would just put it down as much as he thought that he needed to fill in the sections with mm-hmm. with extra details that he could not articulate in his head right off the right off the top. But I assume that as he kept writing stories that he kept filling plot lines and new ideas that would come in and come through his head and which would allow him to, you know, obviously write about certain topics more extensively than others. And obviously it depends on where he was mm-hmm. writing these stories, what was going on in his life. Because even though, like, this story is about, you know, Pluto and, and the aforementioned name, narrator, the police, and his wife, I think that a lot of what was going on in his life transferred over into what was going on here. So you would believe that some aspects of Edgar Allan Poe, the person, snuck through into the narrator of the Black Cat. Absolutely. I mean, it's just like it's just like uh, Lovecraft. It's the same. It's just you know that what was going on in his life and like the cultural context obviously impacted the what he was writing about and what taking what had already existed and expanding upon it, but also making it different in his own way so that he could you know have you know like set himself differently from other writers just like Hawthorne I mean Hawthorne obviously I think sets the standard for like what's out there but kind of to build off of that that's why it's like when these guys are still alive they're pissed off when the next guy comes in and he's writing something and it's really popular because it's like that's not how it's done but I think it's just 
him breaking new barriers, you know, pushing the genre, pushing pushing the envelope just a little bit further every time, with every generation. And that's the great thing about Poe. As I said in the open, he did this and got no credit for it at the time that he was working on him. Poe was not popular. Neither Edgar Allan Poe the person was popular, nor were his works. Um, even today, he's considered um, by many, including Professor Brown, to be sitting right on the fringes of literary canon. He's this very important figure, but not one that is seen as having as much value as even someone like Henry James, who you mentioned, or someone like James Joyce or Nathaniel Hawthorne. Or even like any of the feminist writers of the time. Yeah. Like, uh, like, or even like, even today, like Toni Morrison, like, they're seen as cornerstone writers, but, and then that, you know, that kind of comes into the whole argument of like, well, do we teach these people or do we not teach them because of like, you know, what, what they wrote about Mm -hmm. or how they portray people. Or certain people, certain races. It's like, you know, while it may, while it is problematic, I think that to understand literature and to understand the form and genre, not only the form and genre of the times, but to also understand like cultural contexts and how writing has has evolved over the years. I think you have to include these things because you just you won't be able to un- like you won't be able to understand the full timeline. And you won't be able to understand why we are at where we at why we are at where we are at today, without these important building blocks. And Poe is certainly one of those, especially for the standards of horror writing and psychological writing that we have today. Max, I want to thank you for being on today's episode. I'm sure the uh, listeners course, are going to have a absolute hoot listening to you and I play off of each other. Yes, I said hoot. Don't, don't, don't laugh yet. I also wanted to thank you, as I've thanked all my guests, for not laughing too hard when I first told you the name of the show. It was 100% made as a gag joke, but now every episode has a Poe pun in it, and I've never been more proud. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I hope you guys will keep listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. Take care.